I love Jared Allen. Fear the frog. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. <laughs> Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast, a podcast about the Cavaliers, first and foremost, and the NBA, but told from my wine and gold perspective. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio, and this is the Fear the Fro podcast. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Fear the Fro pod. Please listen. Please subscribe. Please like. Hopefully like. But if you don't like, well, you know what? Life is a journey. I'm trying to get better every day. Similar to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are also trying to get better. Trying to become a team that can compete for one of those play-in spots, perhaps this season, maybe even an outright playoff spot if everything went incredibly well. Now, the Vegas over-under is somewhere in the neighborhood of 28 games, I believe. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. But I haven't even checked to see what that over-under is now that the Cleveland Cavaliers have acquired Lowry Markkinen from the Chicago Bulls in a sign-and-trade And the bigger news, seemingly, if you were to look at the headlines over the weekend, is not the acquisition of Lowry, but rather the departure of fan favorite of Cleveland native Larry Nance Jr. A devastating blow for all those who are fans of Larry, but one that's understandable in my view. Now, if you were to believe NBA Twitter or NBA Reddit or wherever else you may be looking, the deal that took place with the Cleveland Cavaliers... I would say not well received by a lot of the basketball public. I disagree with it, but then again, I have a stake in the game. I'm rooting for the Cavs. I can imagine the way that we view this, anyone watching the Cavs last season realizes how horrible they were when it comes to floor spacing and perimeter shooting. And no question, and it's confirmed as much by Chris Fedor, in his reporting that while there may be some questions as to the overlap of Lowry Markkinen with Jared Allen signing a hundred million dollar extension and drafting Evan Mobley there, there's no question that while there is some positional concerns, we did address needs. We went after something that we're lacking desperately on this team, which is somebody who can keep defenses honest. And Lowry Markkinen is very much that player. His impact could be felt beyond just the stat sheet. He could have a direct hand in improving the kind of impact that guys like Darius Garland and Colin Sexton can have on this game. But let's just let's just rewind and look at the trade that was pulled off last week. Seemingly out of nowhere, Kobe Altman decides that now there have been rumors that Larry Nance could be moved sometime before this season or maybe even during the season. The general consensus has been that Larry Nance Jr. was probably a piece who is not going to be a long-term Cavalier. Not because he isn't beloved. Obviously he is. Altman has even joked as much that he would lose his job if he traded Larry Nance Jr. But he did it anyway, knowing that, being realistic with our time frame, Larry Nance Jr. will be older than 30 by the time his next contract has to be signed. And you have to give serious consideration to whether or not it makes sense to pay a handsome salary to somebody whose role on the team is somewhat limited. Everybody loves Larry, and nobody makes any contentions that he doesn't play beyond his statistical impact. 
He brings everyone around him up. He gets his hand on the ball. He creates opportunities in transition. He can pass extremely well. But he spent a significant amount of time nursing various injuries. Even this last season, the most pro Larry Nance Jr. supporters will point to the impact that he had when he was healthy versus what happened to the team when he was not healthy. But the reality is, that was only 35 games. We as a team suffered a lot of injuries. Garland missed time. Sexton missed time. There, there were points during the Larry's absence, Osman was getting minutes, significant minutes, handling the ball. And to look at the results of the team during that window he was gone doesn't paint the full picture because the Cavs were missing tons of people independent of that. Seemingly out of nowhere, a deal is announced, Woj bomb hits, Larry Nance Jr. is on his way to Portland. And in exchange for Larry Nance Jr. and the Cavaliers routing a late second round pick in all likelihood, the 2023 pick of the Denver Nuggets, who are one of the contenders out there, to Chicago. In exchange for that, Lowry Markkinen found his way to Cleveland, signing a four-year deal for $67 million. Now, since the point I did the emergency podcast after the trade, it's been announced that the third year of that deal, which accounts for roughly $18 million of that $67 million, only $6 million of that is guaranteed. So in essence, Lowry Markkinen signed to the Cavaliers for either a three- or four-year deal, depending on how this plays out. If it turns out to be a three-year deal, then in all likelihood, it didn't work out well. But his market value, his average annual value a season, is just shy of $17 million a season. You're looking at a three-headed, arguably four-headed monster in the front court. Allen is going to hold down the center spot. He's going to play 30 to 35 minutes a night, depending on foul trouble, obviously. It could be less than that some nights and his stamina. But ideally, you pay a guy $20 million, you want him logging at least 30 minutes a night. So we've got 96 front court minutes. You're looking at 30 to 35 minutes for Jared Allen, 28 minutes and probably 32 minutes a night for the rookie, Evan Mobley. So that leaves you somewhere in the neighborhood of another 30 minutes to fill. And that will be made up of time that Lowry Markkinen gets, maybe Kevin Love and some Dean Wade. But the priority there, based on the money that Lowry Markkinen just signed for, we can assume that they're going to prioritize finding out what they have in him. If you look at that trio, Allen, Mobley, and of course, Markkinen, those three guys have a lot of versatility. Allen, center, the backbone of the defense. You've got Mobley, long-term, seemingly will be able to shift between the power forward and center spot. Defensively, he's a little light to be able to guard traditional centers this season, but he's going to put on weight and he's going to put on muscle, similar to what happened with Markkinen. I mean, I see some of these photos coming in of him. But anyway, that's a tangent I don't need to go down. So while ideally you don't want Markkinen guarding centers long-term, for a few minutes here and there, I'm sure the Cavs will take their chances. Markkinen's spot in the rotation is primarily going to be guarding power forwards. He's not defensively what Larry is. Nobody argues that. Look around that front court of Cleveland. They've gone defense the last two drafts and even in their other acquisitions. Rubio should be an upgrade on defense. He's longer. He's better at the point of attack than both, arguably, Garland and Sexton. They drafted Mobley. 
his upside defensively was some of the best in the draft. He was considered possibly the top prospect defensively. Barnes, obviously, in Toronto, he was considered another great defensive prospect and Mitchell in Sacramento. But point being, you've got Okoro, defense first guy. You've got Allen, defense first guy. You've got Mobley, whose defense is further ahead of his offense at this point. And you brought in Rubio to hopefully shore up some of the situation in the backcourt and provide a slightly better defensive alternative as a backup point guard. So if you can't weather the storm of Markinen being just an average defender, we're going to have other problems to address. Now, this isn't a complete picture. It never has been. But they've amassed a lot of young talent and a lot of potential. There is a huge, huge group of Larry Nance Jr. supporters whose standard line this whole weekend as this deal was getting discussed and hashed out was they traded a guy who's better and makes less money for Lowry Markkinen. And what I would say to that is I don't necessarily disagree with that in the moment, but shooting comes at a premium for this Cavs team. And if you look at those guys in a vacuum, I have no problem with people preferring Larry Nance Jr. in 2021, 2022 to Lowry Markkinen, but this is a long-term play. There's no arguing that Markkinen is a better shooter and a more willing shooter, which is important. It's not just about percentages. And while Markkinen did shoot 40% from three last year, that's not the only reason you acquire him. It's a guy who is not afraid to fill exactly the role that the Cavs want, can make threes at a respectable clip, but is willing to take them. Markkinen shot nearly 50% on those corner threes, and there will be a lot of those opportunities with Garland and Sexton probing the defenses and going at the rim. And Sexton, he is a guy who lives a bit in the mid-range. Having some options to bail him out if doubles come, that will be valuable to him. So Markkinen has been brought in not just because he's younger and not just because By giving him a contract for four years, you know that he's going to be around for a while. Unlike Larry, who we all think he would have stayed in Cleveland. But we don't know that. If you were to look at the articles that came out in the aftermath, there was a lot of people upset, feeling like they did Larry wrong, only to find out that he actually not only blessed this deal, but worked with the front office to make it happen. Chris Fedor released an article that was... Well, Larry, speaking to the fans, and Nance said this. He said, this trade was absolutely a collaboration. I had expressed my desire to win now to Kobe and the front office if we could find a deal that helped everybody, and they certainly did that. Going to Portland is something that I am extremely excited about. This is a team that has seen the biggest stages and is hungry for more, and I'm thrilled that they believe I can help them climb higher. So that was words directly out of Larry Nance Jr.'s mouth. He saw the writing on the wall, and while he didn't publicly become a malcontent, to his credit, he handled this the way that I wish all NBA professionals would handle business, behind the scenes. Worked with Altman, told the Cavs, look, I get it. I'm old. These guys are young. I'm not going to get the kind of minutes I want or feel like I deserve. Can you send me somewhere where they will utilize me and there's a place for me to win and to possibly chase a title? And they did that. And they got back something that was important to the Cavs. We often look at this team and we treat it like we're one piece away. That the next move has got to be the move that rounds out the roster perfectly 
and puts us in that situation where we're contending. But we're not there. Altman decided we have a glaring need for shooting. And while, yes, we wanted a wing, the options out there just weren't that attractive. Dylan Brooks, these rumors about Dylan Brooks and Larry Nance Jr. switching places and us sending a protected first-round pick to do that or, or eat Steven Adams' deal, those were ridiculous, even on the surface. I would hesitate to trade Nance for Brooks straight up, just simply because Brooks is a shameless, inefficient gunner. And while, yes, he's a solid defensive player, so is Larry Nance Jr. I would rather take a guy who isn't the kind of shooting liability on offense that Brooks has been. He can score, but his usage is way too high on a team like the Cavs that already has Garland and Sexton and Mobley all looking to play parts in the offense. And more to the point, he only had two seasons left, this season and next season. The wings this summer, even the slightly above average wings, they were getting deals in line with what the Cavs just gave Markinen. So to take Markinen, a guy who over the course of his career is a 16 and 8 guy, a 16 and 7 guy, and while yes, last season he didn't put up those numbers, largely because he was he'd already fallen out of favor with the Bulls. They were prioritizing guys like Patrick Williams and then Thad Young had such a good run with them that he just did not see the floor nearly as much as they had in the first two seasons when he had his best seasons. His second season in the league, he was 18 points a game on the rise scoring-wise, getting a lot of usage, and it just regressed. Time will tell. Maybe Markinen proves that that's not a result of the situation, but is in fact because he's not progressing his game in other ways. But the Cavs clearly have faith in that. And I have faith that what he is good at right now in the present, they can roll out combinations now with Allen and Markinen, where Allen's doing the dirty work inside and Markinen is giving him the room to maneuver and hopefully do so without doubles coming. And if those doubles do come, I would rather have Markinen taking those looks than Larry Nance Jr. Defensively, I get it. Sucks to lose Nance. If we had waited another season with Larry Nance Jr., he would have been entering the final season of his contract with much less value on the market than he had right now. Right now, he's a two-year acquisition. Next year, he's a one-year rental whose price tag is totally unknown. So, get the 24-year-old, tie him up for three to four seasons, and roll out a rotation in the front court that can stretch the floor. Now, the other thing I wanted to address was, a lot of people are upset in the skills that we lost with Larry. The facilitation, the defense, the getting your hand in the passing lane, and creating turnovers that could turn into transition opportunities. But I see Evan Mobley as a high-potential, higher-end version of what we already had in Larry. Do we not look at Mobley and the way he played in the summer league and the tools he has in his arsenal and think, this is the guy that will be the one who's facilitating from a front-court position. This is the guy who can play anywhere from the rim out to 18 to 20 feet, year one. I mean, that's what I want. I want him as the one initiating the dribble handoffs, using his size and length to become a lob threat. That's what we had in Nance, but we had it in a guy who was 6'7", who's not nearly the rim protector that Mobley's projected to be. So while I love Larry Nance Jr., moving him now was the logical choice. We've seen what happens when we sit on guys 
till the end of the, the contract. We got nothing out of Dre. We got nothing out of Tristan Thompson, who was still a productive player at that point. We ended up just eating the end of his contract and then sending him off to Boston in the offseason. This was a chance to guarantee that we got some value out of a guy who, while we all love him, is approaching another contract at age 30. The Cavs have made bad decisions when it comes to extending their own players early based on sentimentality. When it came time for Kevin to be approaching the end of his contract, Altman in the front office decided that we would extend him at an exorbitant salary for a guy who was nearly 30 years old. And we're regretting that. I still like Kevin as a person, but there's nobody that would argue that the Cavs are getting fair value out of that deal. Not just because of his health, but simply because at that point, we ran into the same situation when LeBron James left Cleveland the first time. We were never going to compete. And the same can be said for when he left the team after this last run back in 2018, because he was the majority of the reason for the success of the franchise. That's not a slight on the other players that were there. Without him as the linchpin, the Cavs needed to shift into a rebuild similar to what they did when he went to Miami. And they amassed all those picks and young prospects that eventually allowed them to put Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving around LeBron when he came back. Well, when LeBron left this time, we went into that rebuild. We should have gone full on into that rebuild, but out of loyalty and out of a desire to remain here and get that big contract, Kevin Love extended, and we've regretted it ever since. And you could make the same argument about a lot of the other decisions the Cavs have made when it has come to aging veteran forwards. Tristan Thompson, we extended on that deal during the title runs. And that was understandable. That was a different circumstances. We had to pay him because there was no replacement value. That I give a pass to. But Verajao, when we extended his contract after he'd hit 30, when his game was largely built around hustle and athleticism and opportunism, I knew when that happened, that deal wouldn't weather well, and it didn't. So now we find ourselves in a situation like that with Larry, where he's had health issues, where he's approaching 30, and where the Cavs over the next two to three seasons are going to be paying a lot of young guys a lot of money. Could we really afford to sit on him only to find out that the cost in keeping him forced the Cavs to make tough decisions and let some of their young prospects go? If we're already wringing our hands over how much Colin Sexton is worth. Imagine if in a year from now, we're paying Markinen $17 million, we're paying Jared Allen $20 million, Larry Nance Jr. is coming up on his contract and he's going to want more than $10 million a season, and then we got Garland's extension. We haven't reached that point yet because so many of our guys are still in their rookie deal cycles. But we're going to have to dig in on the money or we're going to find ourselves boxed in with very little depth and very little flexibility to maneuver. It's all moot if the Cavs aren't competitive at that point, but I'm confident that they're going to keep taking steps forward. Now, in a perfect world, we can sign a guy like Markinen outright in the free agent market, but we didn't have the money, and we won't because of, as just mentioned, Kevin Love and some others. So we had the mid-level to work with, and we struck out. McDermott went to the Spurs, but the other alternatives to Markinen are, are not all that attractive. And Chris Fedor pointed out a lot of the guys who have been linked to the Cavs via discussions with the front office. I did not like the Brooks option. I never have. 
And there are Brooks fans who are just dogged defenders of, well, his defense is good and he can score. He can score, sure. He can score because he forces usage that he probably doesn't deserve. And his defense is solid. But he's much closer to a payday. And quite frankly, I just don't believe it. His advanced stats are just not good. This guy is a gunner. The Cavs need somebody who can open the floor up. It's not about solely what Markinen can score per game. I don't care if his scoring per game is somewhat modest, so long as his percentages are good and he's an efficient player at doing that. We have so many players hesitant to take open three-point looks in our lineup. I want all those guys, Markinen, Windler, Garland, and Sexton, I want them to take the three-point looks when they get them. To the other portion of this deal, Larry. Generally speaking, when a guy's off the team, I stop caring about, you know, his benefit. What is it? Is it good for Larry? Is it bad for Larry? But in this scenario, I think this is a win for Larry. He's going to get more usage in Portland. He said that he worked with the front office wanting to go there. And that's a team that could use his contributions immediately. They lost Mello in the offseason. They re-signed Powell. They have... Lillard, who knows how that situation plays out, but I'm going to assume he's there this whole season. Cantor left. Nance is an immediate upgrade there. They can go small, use him in different positions. Larry is versatile. We saw him play some small forward. I'm not saying he's going to do it any more frequently there than he did here, but that's a situation where he can go and he can get consistent minutes. He's not buried behind young, high-investment guys who the team has to prioritize. He's on a team that needs to play their absolute best guys to get the absolute best results on the floor. And as long as Larry continues to be the player that he is, he's going to be a guy who gets huge minutes. That leaves the third component in the deal. The Chicago Bulls. For the Bulls, this should be a huge celebration. They had a guy who they didn't want long-term to commit $17 $17 million a season to in marketing. They sat on it. They waited out the market. All the money dried up. And when the Cavs came calling, the Bulls knew we're going to ask for what we want because if we don't get some asset back, it's a win-win. They managed to get a protected first round pick from Portland. It's lottery protected all the way through 2028. But what that likely means is that it conveys next season. Do we really expect the Blazers not to make the playoffs in this upcoming season? Sure. If they blow it up and they trade Lillard immediately, maybe they can go back to being a lottery team. But why would they have made this deal for Larry if anybody thinks that's the case? They're going to make a run at trying to put a competitive team around Lillard. And as long as he's there, they're going to be making the playoffs. So I suspect it conveys this season. Now, if somehow, after 2028, The Blazers have gone to the lottery every single season. Then it converts to two seconds. But next year, the Bulls are going to have two first-round picks. And that's pretty damn good for a team that gave up a bunch of assets to bring in guys like Vooch and bring in guys like Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan. So they've completely reworked their roster. And I would be celebrating endlessly if I'm a Bulls fan. All they did was wait out the market and they were able to recoup a first-round pick and a late second round pick from us for a guy that wasn't even in their long-term plans. Now that brings me to another point that I think is relevant to the Cavs. When we look at how these teams operate around the NBA, there's something to be said for what the Bulls just did. 
Mark Eversley and AK, I'm not even going to try to say his name, but the two main guys in their front office, they understood that having a guy's restricted free agency rights gives them leverage. And I think we need to keep that in mind as it relates to our own guy, Colin Sexton. Whether we think his value is $20 million a season or we think his value is $30 million a season or anywhere in between, the Cavs do have power with those rights if they're willing to use it. They could set a firm line in the sand and say, Colin, we're willing to extend you right now for a deal whose average annual value is $25 million a season. He may push back. He may say, no, I want to take my chances that somebody's going to offer me more than that. But we still have the right to match it. We can truly let the market dictate what Sexton is going to get. We could go into next summer saying, yes, we have every interest in working out a deal with you and extending you, but we're not going to rush to do it. Then, as people spend their money elsewhere, the Cavs' leverage in the situation increases and increases. Or if somebody swoops in and thinks we're hesitating to pay Colin and they do offer him a $28 million a season deal, well, then we match it at that point or threaten to match it. We sit on him, keep it as positive as possible, and ensure him that, yes, we do in fact want to extend you. We just want to pay a fair market value for it. And if we reach the end of that and we've alienated Sexton, there's a good chance we find ourselves in the exact same position the Bulls are in, where anybody who wants to sign him is going to have to give us assets to do it. I still advocate keeping Colin Sexton. But I look at this Bulls situation, and I can't help but applaud their front office. I hope Sexton is in the Cavs' long-term plans. But if they truly do have a breaking point, a number at which they say, no, we don't want to pay you this, then they should ride it out. We could conceivably recoup the same thing by doing nothing except giving him a chance to prove he can play with this core this year and then reevaluating when we approach free agency next year. So I guess my point is simply, they're the side of this deal that I think should be most proud. Fear the frog. So I wish Larry the best. Now, the other thing is, you should read. You should go to cleveland.com slash Cavs and read Larry's letter to the fans. I normally don't get too hung up on the schmaltzy part of sports, like the feel-good stuff, but I loved what Larry wrote. Somehow he managed to compliment the Cavs, all of them, on the way out the door, he even complimented Lowry Markinen. I mean, he blunted the sting of more or less saying, the Cavs just aren't very good right now, and I want to play for a team that is good right now and will use me. To navigate those waters and not come off sounding somewhat resentful or is rare in sports. Definitely not something Draymond Green will ever grasp. But Larry comes off humble, he comes off grateful, and I don't think he could have framed an exit any better than he did. Now, the other side of that, sadly, is Kevin Love. The one other piece of news to touch on on today's episode of the Fear the Fro podcast, at Fear the Fro pod, like, follow, subscribe, is Kevin Love. Two varying reports came out. As this Larry deal happened, of course, immediately, the question arose, wait, I thought the Cavs already had a ton of people in their front court. Why would they be bringing in Markinen? They must be buying out Kevin Love. So those rumors heated up, and then Woj came out and confirmed that no, Kevin Love has no interest in a buyout. With $60 million left on his deal, that's not something you just walk away from. This is going to be a drawn-out process. The amount the Cavs will probably require Kevin to give back to give him 
a buyout two years in advance of when his contract expires is probably substantial. And Love is not a dummy. He can look around the market and realize, I'm looking at a veteran minimum contract. The market's dried up. There's no money to really spend. So if he's going to do this, he's not going to do it for some massive discount. I'm not at the level of Kevin Love hatred that seems to exist out there. I understand he did not earn this contract. The Cavs front office has just as much responsibility in handing it out as Kevin does in not living up to it. While I wish that he would be on the floor more, stay healthy, I've already accepted that it's a massive waste of a contract. It's a sunk cost at this point. I'm not spending any more energy getting upset that Kevin Love isn't a $30 million player because he's never going to be. So I'm hopeful when this season rolls around, Kevin will have a reduced role. There's no doubt about that. 15 minutes a night, sometimes 20 minutes a night, depending on the situation and the matchups. How much does he really have to do to warrant being on the roster? If the Cavs buy him out tomorrow, all they're creating is a roster spot. Is whoever we can bring up from the G League or grab off the bargain bin, by the way, Svi Mikhail Luke, gone, signed with the Toronto Raptors, one less option, on to Garrison Matthews. But whoever they grab off the scrap heap, are they really going to be better than even a damaged love? I don't know that that's the case. I am perfectly okay with keeping love around. Yes, he's going to take a secondary role to market in. That's just in the better interests of the Cavaliers. But let him play. His role is going to be so minimal. If he's a malcontent, if he refuses to play, if, if it goes the route of J.R. Smith and we have to send him home, so be it. We just lost our fourth guy in a four-man rotation in the front court, and Dean Wade slides in there, and we keep it moving. While people will point to Blake Griffin or Kemba Walker, those are modern buyouts that just we never saw before that. Guys giving back substantial money to get their freedom. But in the case of Walker, he did it while there was still money on the market, and he got a reasonable deal from the Knicks that helped make him whole. That doesn't exist anymore. There's nobody out there with a full mid-level they're looking to drop on Kevin Love, so he's not going to be giving back a full mid-level worth of money. If you're anticipating Love being gone, I would recalibrate those expectations. So that's it. That's this episode. I'm not touching on NBA stuff. Rondo got bought out. He's going to the Lakers. Big surprise. Another veteran who was an all-star several years ago joining LeBron. That seems to be the theme of the LA Lakers with Mello and Dwight Howard, etc. But we'll touch on that more later this week. I wanted a full extended version breaking down the Larry deal, talking about Lowry Markinen. I'll be back later this week with more on the Fear the Fro podcast. Once again, follow us Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook at Fear the Fro Pod. Please subscribe to the podcast. I welcome any reviews, preferably positive ones, but I'll take what I can get. I'm Bob Schmidt the voice of Fox Sports Radio, and this is the Fear the Fro podcast. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro it's over. podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.